Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I am Renee Powers, and today I am joined by the inimitable Mariquita Carrera. Hi, Mariquita. Hello. And we are talking about, well, we decided that we're actually just talking about how wonderful Kali Fajardo Anstein is because we both recently read Woman of Light, her first novel, and we are both big fans of her collection of short stories, Sabrina and Karina. So I want to just set the the playing field, (laughs) set the scene here, um, and give you a little intro of Woman of Light, Kali Fajardo Anstein's new novel that comes out in June. And this is the synopsis. There is one every generation, a seer who keeps the stories. Luce, Little Light Lopez, a tea leaf reader and laundress, is left to fend for herself after her older brother, Diego, a snake charmer and factory worker, is run out of town by a violent white mob. As Luce navigates 1930s Denver, she begins to have visions that transport her to her indigenous homeland in the nearby lost territory. Luce recollects her ancestors' origins, how her family flourished, and how they were threatened. She bears witness to the sinister forces that have devastated her people and their homelands for generations, and in the end, it is up to Luce to save her family stories from disappearing into oblivion. Now, if you have read Sabrina and Karina, you know this is really the author's sweet spot. What did you think? Let's start with Woman of Light this debut novel that comes out this summer, Marijita, dig in. Well, for me, um, I was so excited to get this book that as soon as it arrived on my doorstep, I put a picture of it up on Instagram and like bragged about it. I was just like, (laughs) cancel my plans, I'm busy. Like I was thrilled and I really, really enjoyed it. But as soon as I opened it up, I realized that it's, too rich in detail and the prose is too beautiful for it to be like a really fast read you know Mm -hmm. did you have that experience absolutely so I started it um I went on vacation and I started it on the plane or maybe the I don't know in the airport and it was almost like I really want to dig into this and I thought that vacation would be the perfect place to do it but it was almost like I don't know. It was so meaty that what I really needed was a beach read. And I don't think this is a beach read. (laughs) It's not a beach read. It's not, it's beautiful, you know, and like it, um, and that's no shade on beach reads. Like I've been Mm -mm. reading a lot of beach reads lately and they are like working for me, but this is a book that like begs you to take time with it. The, the detail in the architecture, in the clothing that she talks about, the scene setting she does, like it's so immersive that you're not rushing through it. And one thing I love about Kali Fajardo Einstein as a writer is her ability to really write location as a character. If you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know, it's one of my favorite things in a book is when a a city or a location becomes its own like rich, nuanced character in a story. And I really feel like Woman of Light, Denver is its own character, the lost territory, this, you know, indigenous homeland is its own character. And they are so 
they have their own motivations and their own, and they show up, you know, dressed up. And there's, I actually have a quote that I want to read. Um, she just, oh God, the way she describes the setting, she says this, the sun was setting and the land had grown colder, mosquitoes and crickets whispering to one another as if to raise the hairs on the earth's neck. Yes. I mean, absolutely poetry. Yes. Yeah. I flagged so many passages in this book because the lines there were beautiful. And I wanted to go back and like, especially as we were prepping for this, I wanted to go back and like read them again and like be immersed in that again, because they're just stunning. Like they're even, there's even some that are just like funny, you know, like Mm -hmm. in the very, very beginning, um, in the very first scenes, there is a, and, and we're not going to give away spoilers here, so I'm not going to go into too, too much detail, but there's a, a, a baby that's found and the prophet that finds the baby, the baby's trying to nurse and, and she's like, oh no, 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 <laughs> far too late for that. And she hands the baby to someone else and she says, for now, find him a breast, one that works. And I laughed <laughs> so hard at that. <laughs> because she's an older woman just, that yeah, she's, she's like 80 yeah, or something yeah and just like first order of business find a working boob like I just like <laughs> I died I thought it was great it was a great way to start off and then like and then she gets so sumptuous with the detail and and the lines that just gorgeous sumptuous is a great way to describe her writing it really does feel like biting into like one of those multi-layered death by chocolate cakes you know the ones that are like that's exactly what I was thinking 30 layers (laughs) it's just you want to savor it you can't take it all at once right because it'll make you sick or you just won't get it it won't be as good you'll miss you'll miss things you'll miss things Mm -hmm. yeah the characters are all very richly developed and and you need to you need to spend time with them you know you need to get to know their quirks I loved Lisette as a character I loved um, how much personality she had, how assured she was, how strong she was, how clever and creative. And I wanted her to design clothes for me. Right. She reminds me of um, another of my favorite authors, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, who um, she reminds me of Noemi in Mexican Gothic. Yes. Kind of, but Noemi is the main character and Lizette here is the side character who adds so much life and vibrancy and color to any scene that she's in. She steals the scene. Yeah, she really does. And like it, she is a good counterpoint to Luce. You know, it's sort of like in the old comedies where they would have like comedian and then the straight man, like mm-hmm. she's like the comedian, <laughs> you know? Right. And like, they need each other to create that balance. Uh, they just, they just provide so much texture to this story when they're together in the same space. What are some of the themes that you found really stuck with you after you've been sitting on this book for a a week or so now? I've been sitting on it for just a couple of days. So what are some of the the scenes or themes that are still um, sticking out to you? Okay, well, two things. One, I'm sure we'll go back to, but I'm just going to be a little flippant about it right now. The men are all creeps. (laughs) <laughs> okay yes they're all yes. creeps um yes uh but like the theme that I really loved is uh how much time and detail Fajardo Unseen always takes with gentrification especially as it relates to Denver I lived in Boulder for a little while for about six years which is real close to Denver but like Boulder is like 
I'm no, I'm not going to say bad things about Boulder. I really liked living there, but like, there was a lot of this sort of like us versus them with like Denver and Denver was a really amazing, phenomenal, dynamic city in, and I got to get to know it like a little bit, but not as much as I wish I had. And she names streets there and neighborhoods and things that like bring me back to that time and make me wish I could go back and explore them again and go back in time and explore them during this period as well. Um, but her her touch with gentrification is something that we also saw in Sabrina and Karina, particularly in the, the story Galapago, but also throughout the whole book. Yeah, she really writes love letters to Colorado. It's one thing that I don't connect with, you know, having only visited Colorado once in my life. <laughs> but it's something I really appreciate. Um, in addition to, you know, creating characters out of out of settings, just being so, and, and I had the opportunity and, and honor to interview Kali for the podcast after she wrote Sabrina and Karina she is so deeply rooted in her hometown and her the city that really gave her life and i can see that so clearly in all of her writing and i love to see that in in this book she seems to parallel it with the visions that Luce is having with the sort of um colonialism that's happening at that mm-hmm. time so like as denver is experiencing this gentrification and as Luce is sort of uncovering it in her in her job she's looking through paperwork and stuff like that and she's seeing more about it uh you're also seeing that same movement in this alternate time and it was beautiful interplay yeah this book is told in two timelines and it's a multi-generational family saga one of my favorite genres um I want to read something else that I really, uh, that touches on what you're saying here. And it comes from one of the older timelines in the lost territory or this indigenous homeland. The character's name is Pedre. And it said, she writes, Pedre came from storytelling people, but as he passed a big top devoted to reenactment of Custer's last stand, he couldn't help but think that Anglos were perhaps the most dangerous storytellers of all for they believed only their own words and they allowed their stories to trample the truths of nearly every man on earth. I am so glad you mentioned that because I have that written right here as one of my favorite (laughs) quotes from this book. Yes, yes. It's so incisive. It is so uh, incendiary and so quiet at the same time. I, she can just create craft these sentences that I think I I will think about for a long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much, even though this book is set, you know, both in the 1800s and the 1930s, it's so contemporary in so many ways. She has a vision of what is essentially an ice grade, right? There is a lot of uh, crackdown on immigration or supposed immigration, uh, racism. There is a KKK march that goes through town. There's anti-Semitism. I mean, trigger warnings for all kind of yeah. racial violence yeah, here. Yeah. Um, it's so uncomfortable and so familiar to so much of what we're still seeing today in this country. That's another one of the themes that runs through the book that like really struck me is the violence that is involved and it's really vivid. It's not lurid or anything, you know, like it's not made big or sensational. It just is. And there are points in it, three, three points in particular in the book 
that really like took my breath away. And the KKK rally was one. Um, there's a the plot point where Diego gets run out of town is another. And then there's a, a piece somewhere in between those two with Pedre and his witnessing violence against an animal. Trigger warning for sure on that. If you are at all sensitive to violence um, towards animals, there's a scene that's really challenging to read. And, and the character himself stops and says, I can't, I can't see this anymore. I have to leave. And if, and if she hadn't ended that scene there, I don't know that I could have kept reading it. I blacked out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I, you know, it, it felt like sorting through old files in my brain to remember what scene you're actually talking about, because I don't do well with violence against animals. And so I think I had completely blocked that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gruesome. I'm very sorry for bringing you back up again. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. And the thing that Fajardo Einstein does so well is yes, there are violent and brutal moments. They're not gratuitous. They're not you said sensationalized. They're believable. They're not extraordinarily gory or, um, we'll, we'll stop with gory (laughs) or bloody. I mean, there's blood involved in some of them, but it's not necessarily, that's necessarily, um, yeah. It doesn't feel exploitative to me. It doesn't feel exploitative. It feels like it has a place and that place is important. Um, and, and it goes as, far as it needs to go for that and it doesn't go any further yes yes one of the things one of the themes that stuck out for me in woman of light that was also one of the reasons why i love sabrina and karina so much is yes these stories center women but it doesn't put them on pedestals it doesn't put women on pedestals they are broken they're strong. They're not strong because they're broken. They're not strong in spite of, they're just, they're strong and broken. Those two things coexist, right? They are suffering and yet they persevere and not, again, not in spite of one another, but at the same time. And I find that so refreshing. And so hard to come by, honestly, it's usually like you're suffering as a plot point and it's not necessarily a plot point in this. Your suffering is just what is, it's just the existence, right? Yeah. And at the same time, they can flourish in their own ways. Yeah. There isn't, there isn't a sense of like, um, you're strong, you can overcome this or like, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, pain, like it, it, there's not a sense that, that she's giving her characters pain to, um, create dimension, you know, or growth for them. That's not, that's not the purpose of it. It exists there because it exists in the world. It exists in a lifetime. And, and so that is the purpose of it. It's not, it's not like, you know, that all those old tropes about like fridging a woman to create like growth in the hero, you know, or like the dead wife trope or something like that. There's not like a, a victimizing of, of any of her characters, to further or to propel the storyline of another character. And I, and I know that I'm saying that in a story where, you know, we already know from the synopsis that um, Luce's life takes a direction because her brother was run out of town. And so there is that point of violence there in this story, but it does not feel like she's exploiting that violence. It feels like she's taking a potential 
um, event from history, a real event that that could have happened that may have happened in her family. We don't know because some of this is based on her family story, you know, and is showing that how that is a catalyst and the ripple effect of something like that. Yeah. And even I was going to say that, you know, she doesn't let her characters wallow in their pain, but even when they do wallow in their pain, there's, it's treated so well. It's treated so deftly. It's not a literary device. It's really, really uh, intelligently written. Like I just can't say enough. I, I, I have run out of superlatives, honestly, for her writing. <laughs> so who was your favorite character? Aside from Lisette. Yeah. Aside from Lisette. <laughs> Aside from Lisette. Because Lisette is for sure one of mine, but I have another that is like maybe that's vying for top spot. So I kind of want to know what yours is. Oh man, this is really tough because they're all so, they're they all have flaws. Yeah. They all are flawed. I want to say Simo Desea. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's just a, she's a sharpshooter. She, you know, basically runs off with the circus and yeah, becomes a sharpshooter. And she's kind of a black widow because I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but because you learn when we introduced to her that she accidentally shot her husband in one of her acts and killed him. And so she's kind of, moving through this story with that weight of knowing that she has she took her husband's life um and it was a complete accident he was the love of her life and so but she's just kind of a no-nonsense prairie badass yeah she is a (laughs) badass I love her (laughs) she's a badass for sure I Mm -hmm. love when she um shot the beer out of the spectator's hand for Mm heckling he was heckling her and she was like you know what dude shut the hell up yeah. I'm gonna shoot this very I was like oh that's a goal like I'm not gonna shoot a gun for any reason I can't imagine I ever would um but I want the like kind of like strength and focus to just like yes. come at somebody that's coming at me and just and the quiet confidence yeah. is another thing that I really liked yeah. about her is like she knew exactly where her skills laid and it was the uh when she killed her husband, it was a complete accident, like something misfired or something. It was not unlike the Alec Baldwin issue. Yeah. <laughs> I remember actually exactly how that happened, but I'm not going to give it away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who's your favorite character? Probably Maria Josie. I really, really like her. Yeah. I love that she is a take on one of Fajardo Anstein's actual um, family members like a, she mm-hmm. shared photos on Instagram and told a little bit of the background behind that and it made me love that character even more you know I love that um, she dresses up in like suits uh, which was really unusual for that time of course and still I think you know would be a little unusual but not transgressive like then you yeah. know and she's a queer character and I love seeing um, queer characters in history because like, queer people have always existed, but they don't often show up in books that, uh, that feature historical settings. And she's just so resourceful and like so intelligent, you know, and, and she can see everything in every direction. And she's, of course, you know, like all the rest of them flawed, she makes mistakes. She's got a lot of um, history, but, uh, but she is, a warrior 
and I with a soft heart and I love her yes yeah and all of these women that she writes are so uh rich they're just they have we get to see their histories their familial drama how they're all intertwined and interconnected and what's been inherited from generation to generation and I think that's as much as I love Sabrina and Karina that's what I was missing in a collection of short stories right is I could tell that there was a lot more going on with the characters that she was writing and I wanted to know all of their history and in this book we get to see it all and it is so satisfying to me it's like a difference between like a beautiful photograph and a mural (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yes I am so delighted to have this book in the world I think she was working on it when I talked to her and I actually had the opportunity to meet her at one of our local literary festivals you know in the pre panini days and (laughs) it was an absolute she is just a joy in person and a joy to speak to and her writing is again superlative 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 I've got nothing else she's one of my favorite writers and I cannot wait to see what else comes from her I'm in full agreement no shock (laughs) well this has been uh Maris and Renee's love letter to Kali Fajardo Anstein this is now just fully a Kali Fajardo Anstein fan club um we are done (laughs) (laughs) end of story um where can we find you online if we want to connect with you further and gush about everything? You know, I, I always light. say this, but I do truly mean it. Please, anytime anybody wants to talk with me about books, I'm all about it. Um, but I'm on Instagram at O underscore Murray. And that is about the only place you can find me online. That's great. I am the thumbs behind the Feminist Book Club Instagram. You can also find me on my personal, which I rarely ever check, but feel free to stalk me there. It is Belle Renee, Belle, B-E-L-L-E, Renee. And we will talk to you soon, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a